Our psalm of the day is Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon through all, throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from, river to, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down, fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruits be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like grass in the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed and all the nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. The gospel lesson for today comes from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on our earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you as we come, as we come and worship you, as we come the Sunday after the, the great celebration of you rising again from the dead of you starting a new creation. And here we come to a text that is well known. Uh, we've heard it. Um, and I pray this morning that we would see it afresh. As you come and approach these imperfect disciples, may you come and approach us this morning with your power and with your presence, with your grace and with your mercy. And we pray all this in your great and wonderful name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Tommy Park. I'm the RUF campus minister at the University of North Florida. Um, it looks like Chuck gave me 
what could be called Hangover Sunday. Um, you know, he, again, I, he's been in ministry long enough, I don't think it's by accident that he's not here. Um, but before we get started, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for being our, our dear friend and our supporter and our friends uh, as we continue to do ministry at the University of North Florida. Thanks for many of you driving to our house uh, to drop off food and to feed us and to, to support you with your money. Uh, we, me and my wife and even my own children uh, feel your uh, involvement in our ministry and we're very thankful. Uh, and so thank you. I remember in middle school I was introduced to these things. So I'm, I'm still not completely sure what you call them. Uh, I thought they were called mine eyes, but it's the artwork where it's kind of weird and you kind of look at it and you stare at it and you kind of maybe close an eye and you continue to stare at it and then eventually something comes out of that artwork. And then once you see it, you never unsee it. Uh, you, you always see that same little piece of art and it continues to come right out of the page to you. Uh, it comes right off the page. And, and sometimes I, as I read the Bible, I feel the same tension. Uh, I can stare at a text, I can look at a whole thing, and, and there's things I just don't see. And then there's times where things come off the page, and I just can't simply unsee it. And here, the Gospel of Matthew, I think, uh, you know, this writer uh, who was known as a text collector, who was known as a disciple of Jesus, was also an author. Uh, he's doing something here in this whole Gospel to really shine, to show us something about what he's going to show us about Jesus and about us and about his world. Um, here in our passage this morning, we see that Jesus is going to give the disciples and even us this morning what's called the, the Great Commission to go out to the nations uh, and to show and tell the good news. At the very beginning of this gospel, what we see is something unique. Uh, we see that Matthew here starts the genealogy of Jesus with Abraham. Again, the father of many nations, the one who would go out and that his seed would be a blessing to the nations. So we see at the very beginning of the gospel and the end of the gospel this theme of nations. And here, what I think Matthew is showing us is that Jesus is calling us to continue the very line of Abraham to be the one who takes his word to the nations. And also here in our passage, we see this, this verse, the one that we cherish in our hearts so much, where Jesus tells his disciples, and even us, that I am with you until the very end of the age. And again, at the very beginning of this gospel, again, I don't think it's by accident, where Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer who will come to make all things right, and Joseph asks, who should we call this one? And the angel says, Emmanuel. God with us. Again, a theme at the very beginning and at the end of this gospel bookends. That the, this Jesus, this God, the one who we worship, the one who will live for us and to die for us and to rise again for us, will be one who is with us. And so here, Matthew is, is giving us these two themes of going to the nations and that our God is one who is with us. Um, one thing my wife and I appreciate about this church and deeply enjoy, uh, I even remember about 11 years ago, as me and my wife were moving to Jacksonville to start RUF at the University of North Florida uh, and wondering where we might go to church. 
Um, and what, don't tell anybody this, but what convinced us to come to Mandarin is your missions conference 11 years ago. Uh, for your heart for the nations, for your passion, uh, for what you want the glory of God to go to the ends of the earth. Uh, and we see this. We see it throughout many things uh, later in our time of prayer. The first thing that we lift up to our God each week is for the nations, for, for God to go to the ends of the earth, for the, the mission of God. Uh, we see this in your missions committee. Uh, you have a missions committee that deeply enjoy their job, and they take it seriously. And even this morning, as John introduced, we have like 10 people on a plane right now going to Cuba. Uh, and so this church, we take the very mission of God seriously. Uh, and it's one thing I deeply appreciate about this church. But as we come to this passage, this, this great commission, this famous verse about missions, the, the great temptation for us is to look at this passage and to continue to see what we can do for God in his mission. But the great wonder of this passage is not what we can do for him, but what he is doing to us and for us, for his mission. Uh, the remarkable thing about this passage is as we put it in the context of the Gospel of Matthew, and even the context of this verse, uh, we will see and we will realize that this great commission is actually greater. And so this morning, my prayer and hope as we look at this passage is that we truly see that this great commission is great for a couple of things. One, we will see an unbelievable invitation. Two, we will see an unbelievable power and presence. And third, an unbelievable plan. First, an unbelievable invitation. Uh, verses 16 and 17. Uh, the first thing that we see in this passage is that God gives this unbelievable invitation to these disciples. I think it's important to realize that verses 16 and 17 actually set up the Great Commission. These verses actually make the Great Commission greater. Listen to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. I have a question for you. Is this? Is, have you ever been invited to an event or even a party that there's no good reason for you to be there? Here we see Jesus invites his disciples, the same ones that left him, the same ones that abandoned him there on the cross, even Peter, the one who denied him three times, just as Jesus predicted. And Jesus here is risen from the dead, and he invites those guys, his best friends, who was with him for three years, but at the same time, three, the, the ones who abandoned him, and says, meet me at Galilee. Meet me at that mountain that I told you about. And here, I think Matthew wants us to see the wonder of this invitation. Again, first, we see for the very first time in the Gospel of Matthew that he describes the disciples as the eleven. Before chapter 28, Matthew describes the disciples ten times as the twelve. And here we see that the number has, has gotten smaller, that we're down by one. We're at the eleven. And we know that because of Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, who, who gave Jesus over, who led to the trial and to the crucifixion and to Easter and to even to this moment. And he was dealing with that, that guilt and that shame so much that he hung himself. And we see in chapters 26 and 27, we see these other disciples, including Peter, abandoning Jesus, scattering. Don't want to be near this person. And here, 
post-resurrection, post the most famous verse of all time about missions, God invites these 11, these imperfect, unworthy men to meet with Jesus. And the only way that this is possible is by the very mercy of our God. Again, early in chapter 28, Jesus asked Mary and Mary to go and get the disciples and say, and, and says to these guys, again, catch the, the language of the passage of the story. He calls these 11, the ones who abandoned him, the ones that have left him, the ones who are just not perfect, and said, my brothers, tell my brothers to go to that mountain as I instructed them. And so we see that the only way that we're invited to this party the only way that these 11 are even invited to this, the, this grand invitation, this grand place, again, if you, again, looking at the whole Gospel of Matthew, I think it's seven times you, you have these really cool themes, these um, parties, I guess you would put them, uh, meetings, hangouts on mountains. And here's the last one, the, the climax of it all. And Jesus invites these 11 to be there. And again, the only way that they were and we are invited to be part of this mission is by the very mercy of God. We are just like these disciples. Because of our sin and because of our misery and our shame, we fall short. And here, God invites the unworthy, the imperfect. And then again, listen to verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You can translate that word doubted as the word hesitate, or some hesitated. And to me it's interesting that that's the phrase, that's the language, that's the wording that leads into the Great Commission. Often this verse is kind of skipped over. But here we have these eleven, and they are approaching, and Jesus is approaching them on this mount. They're probably nervous and wondering what he is going to say. And when they see the resurrected Lord, the one who has defeated death on their behalf, what they do is they worship. But at the same time, they hesitate. This word for doubt or for hesitate only happens one other time in the Gospel of Matthew. It's used in chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, when Jesus walks on water. Uh, to catch up with the 12 disciples. And there in the boat, there Peter, in verse 28, says, Lord, if, it, if it's you, command me to come onto the water. And Jesus had come. And then we read, Peter went out onto the water, starting to walk on water. And then on verse 30, we read, but when Peter saw the wind, and he was afraid, and beginning to sink, and cried out, Lord, save me. And then Jesus immediately reached out, took his hand, and said, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? In other words, why did you hesitate? Why did you let the surroundings get a hold of you? See, Matthew is not describing the disciples' unbelief, but their hesitation. Their hesitation of putting these two realities together, of the, the resurrected Lord, the one who has come and defeated death, and that this world is not right yet. And so they come with a little bit of hesitation. How are these two things come together? 
And the reality is this, if we would be honest with ourselves, that this type of doubt or hesitation is happening right now. Uh, When we come together, even right now this morning in this worship service, we are a group of people who truly do worship our God. We understand that our God has lived a life that we could not have lived, not even on our best day. We understand that our God has died for us and has risen for us and that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father for us and that he is ruling, that he is our true prophet, priest, king, who is truly with us. Even a second ago, we uh, recited the Apostles' Creed with confidence because we do believe that he is the creator of heaven and earth and that he is going to come to make all things right. But in a second, we will sit down and during our prayer time, at the same time that we are in wonder of who our God is, but at the same time we will be honest with ourselves and we wonder, we hesitate. Does he truly care for me? Does he truly care about my work situation? Does he truly care about my family situation? Does he, does he care about my own singleness? And we sit there and we wonder, does he truly care? We hesitate. These, these two things are crashing in our hearts at the same time. We, we sit and believe in the amazing love of our Savior, but at the same time, we wonder, is this God? Is this Redeemer? Is this one who is truly with us? Again, the reality of, of worshiping the greatness of our Jesus, the, the resurrected one, and, and wondering, is he, how is his greatness going to make a difference in our lives? Still happens. Do you know what brings me comfort? Do you know what brings us comfort? Is that we're not alone in this struggle. Even here, as Jesus walked the earth, there is worship and there's doubt. The 11, the ones who are left, who hung out for Jesus for three years, who saw him change water into wine, who made the 5,000 Uh, feed the 5,000 and to uh, predict his own death and then die for them and then rise again for them sits here in hesitation. Uh, The church father, a guy named Jerome, commenting on this verse says that their doubting actually increases our faith. For us to see the greatness of the Great Commission, we need to grasp that these verses calls us and invites that our Jesus invites our imperfectedness, our unqualified bunch uh, to take this gospel, this good news around the world. So how does a group like this of unperfect, unqualified take the, known, take the gospel around the world? For example, if we fast forward as we, as we can, looking back, we have the great advantage of looking back. These 11 guys, as we read the book of Acts, takes the gospel across the known world. The gospel goes like wildfire. So what, what happens to these men who are hesitated? Who banded the Lord? How does this group take the gospel? around the world. This group takes the gospel around the world to the very ends of the earth because of the very power 
and presence of God. Again, the the beauty and the wonder of the Bible is that our God, the God that we worship is a both and God. That he's a God who's transcendent, the one who is far away, who is the one who created all things. And we stand in wonder. The God who is literally right now, Colossians 1 says, is holding all things together. That he's transcendent, that he's the God that we stand amazed who will come to make all things right. But the God of the Bible is of both, and he's also the God, the one who's far off is also the God who's near. The God who's far is the God who's with us. The God that we sing holy, holy, holy is the same God that we sing Emmanuel, the one who is with us. And we see this throughout the Bible, and we see this here. In verse 18, Jesus comes to them in their hesitation and in their doubt and says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So here in verse 18, God is showing their greatness, showing his greatness and his holiness. And it it reminds of whatever is going on in this world, it's under my authority. All authority has been given to me. No matter where it is, on heaven or on earth. But at the same time, we see here that he, in verse 20, that he reminds them, Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. When I meet with my students, we talk about this. We talk about this, this, this great wonder of our God, that he is a God who is great and wonderful and powerful, but a God who is near, that he's truly with us, a God who says over and over again in his Bible that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so we see here in this this passage the way that our God answers their hesitation, their doubt, their wonder is that he shows them his power and then reminds us that he is ever with them. Um, Another great example of this in God's word is the very commissioning of our our dear friend Moses there in Exodus chapter 3 with the burning bush. Um, The passage says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses, says, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And so here Moses is approaching this God, and what God does is that he shows his greatness, his holiness, his wonder. And what God does in the next verse is that he gives Moses, if you remember, a a job to do, to go to Pharaoh and to remind Pharaoh who's in charge. And Moses says in verse 11, uh, but Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God said, but I will be with you. Nearness. This great God who, who told Moses, don't even come near. Actually turn back around. And Moses wondered, with hesitation I would assume, And says, who 
Who's going to go with me? And the same one with that brought that greatness and that wonder to Moses is the one who tells Moses, I will be with you. And so again, here in this passage, as, as God, as Jesus, looks at these, 12, these 11, and Paul can feel their hesitation and their wonder and their doubt, what he does, he reminds them of his power, of his wonder, of his greatness, but also his presence. That our God is the one who condescends, that he's the one that we read in John 1, who took on flesh, who made his dwelling among us. The one that we read in Philippians 2, the one who, who left all his, he did not take the being God, something to be grasped, but he put it aside. To put on flesh, to, to live that life and to die that death, to be a very person of a servant. The one that we read in John 13, the one that we, this is there in the upper room with his disciples. And as you read that passage, it talks about Jesus knowing that he has been given all things over to his hands. And what he does next is that he even gets closer. He takes off his outer garments and when he gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. Over and over again, our God, the one who deals with our uncertainty, how he deals with our, our curiosity, our wonder, our hesita hesita hesitation, is that he addresses it with his wonder, his greatness, but also with his presence. And so we see here in this passage, we see that God has given these 11, an unbelievable invitation to meet him. But also, in their hesitation, God gives them an unbelievable power and presence. And lastly, we see in this passage an unbelievable plan. Again, we listen in verses 18 and 19. Jesus comes to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So here again, Jesus comes and reminds them, I'm the king of the universe. I'm the one reigning and ruling. I've opened up the gates. Now let's go to the nations. Let's go bless the nations. And I'm actually going to entrust the future to you. You imperfect 11. You ones who abandoned me. And we're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm in charge, and so I'm going to leave it up to you. And we often say to ourselves, well, great, because we know exactly what we need to do. We know exactly what we need to do to change the world. We can use political power. We can change the world by making sure that the right person is in office. Or we can use our military might. That's what's going to do to change the world. We're going to use our muscle. And sometimes we often say, even in our own city, that we can, we can change this city if we do this right thing in this right place at this right program with our agenda, the way we think it should be done. We can change it. Or we can change the world if we have the right pastor. The one that goes to Cuba right after Easter. 
Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for giving it to us because we know exactly what we need to do. I'm not sure uh, about you, but it seems like every four years I hear a certain group of people running for a certain job, talking to another group of people on the other side, say the phrase like this, that's the craziest plan I've ever heard. And here in this passage, Jesus has given us a plan to transform the world. And from a human perspective, it's the craziest plan I have ever heard. Do you know what he says? Here, Jesus, the one who rules all things and the one who has all authority, comes to these 11 and says, you know how we're going to change the world? We're going to change the world by talking to people. According to Jesus, we're going to change the world by, by going to our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers, that, that weird guy at Starbucks, and to the nations, the ones that we don't even speak their language yet. And we're going to talk to them about Jesus. We are going to go and tell them about things that often we are sometimes hesitant about. And what makes the Great Commission great is that Jesus, the King of the universe, the one who has all authority, comes to us, his imperfect brothers and sisters, the very ones that do believe the wonderfulness of his love and his mercy, but at the same time often hesitates to see how his authority on heaven and earth plays out in this world. What makes the Great Commission great is that our God comes to us and says, go, tell, talk to people what he has done for you and for me. Again, here in verses 18 and 19, he, he wants them to go and to make disciples and to teach them all that I've commanded you. Again, Jesus reminds you and me that, that he's the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, and he wants us to reach out to the people around us and the people around the globe and to equip them, to teach them the gospel, teach them so much that they would actually consider a thing about to get baptized, to get wet in front of a bunch of people on a Sunday morning, to show and tell them that the gospel is good news, that is wonderful, that actually changes things. It brings us to life. It renews us. Our God wants us to go and to tell people about him. I have a question for you. Have you ever tried to have a spiritual conversation with a friend or a family member or a coworker or a neighbor? Have you ever tried to invite a skeptic to church? And maybe you thought to yourself, well, you know what? Right now is not the right time. Or maybe you even thought to yourself, well, I wish I had more confidence to share my faith. Maybe you even wonder, why do I hesitate? Why do I hesitate in talking to people about this person, this one that I worship, this one I adore, this one that I bow down and I'm in wonder of 
If that's you. If you ever thought those things, remember the words of this passage. Because the very same words our God speaks to these imperfect disciples, he tells us this morning. He reminds us. As we are going, as we are making disciples, as we're reaching out to our loved ones and to the people we don't even know. Of this one who has literally come to take on flesh, this one who has lived for us, this one who has died for us, this one has risen again for us. As we stand, as we confess, as we see the wonder in his greatness. And he tells us to go. And because we are not God, there is hesitation in our hearts. And he tells these 11, who has seen it all, and says, all authority has been given to me. Go, I am always with you. That these same words that were there in front of these 11 on this mountain are with us, are in front of us this morning. 2,000 years later, as we have seen the gospel not just go past Jerusalem and Samaritan and to the ends of the earth, but it's literally here in Jacksonville, Florida. Think about that. That same authority and presence that was given to these 11 has brought the gospel this far. As we look into this room, and we are much more than 11. And with that same power and with that same presence, our God is sending us into the city, into Cuba, into Africa, into the University of North Florida, into even the west side of Jacksonville for his kingdom. And as we, even if we're honest in our own hearts, we leave this room with a little bit of hesitation. But our God, the one who's in control of all things, comes and reminds us that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I am sending you. And as I send you, what I'm going to actually do is I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. So know this morning, know that you're not alone. Know that we need to hear these words. That he is with us. That all authority has been given to him and he sends us out. So this morning I hope and I pray that you you see this great commission is even greater. Not because what we can do for Jesus, but what Jesus is doing for us. And as we go from this place, take these closing words to heart. This gracious promise with which Jesus closes uh, this, this scene, this gospel, that he says to the disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is impossible to conceive words more confront, more strengthening, more cheering, more sanctified, more comforting than these. That the king of the universe, the one who has truly made all things, and the one who is truly holding all things together, and the one who will come to make all things right, tells us, even in our little hesitation, that he is with us, that he is for us. So our Savior, the King of the world, the one who lived and died for us, the one who has been raised, the one who is ruling and reigning for us, comes and invites us, invites us because of his grace, and he invites us, as we have often seen, come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus, 
The one with all authority and power is ready to say, stands to save you. Full of pity, join with power. There it is, power and presence. And so this morning, know that he is able and that he is willing and we, and we do not have to doubt no more because the Jesus, the one who invites us in, gives us his power and his presence as he calls us out to do this plan that is pretty crazy to tell us to go and tell the world about him, the perfect one. So as you leave, leave with confidence. Leave comforted. Leave knowing that the king of the universe, the one with all authority and power, is truly with you this morning and each day. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we... We're so thankful for your word. Uh, we're so thankful for your power. Uh, even this, your, your word is so powerful. As we read it, it reads us. Uh, we thank you for that your word is, is completely honest. Uh, it's honest because as we read it, it's truly reading our hearts. As we read and we see the hesitation of these 11, we feel the hesitation in our hearts. But you, being the God of everything, the God who knows our hearts, comes in and reminds us of your presence, but also of your power. That you're the, the one who has authority over all, but you're the God who's also with us. And I pray as we consider this, this great commission, may we see it greater. Because you come to us. You invite us in these imperfect ones, these ones who have fallen short, who have sinned. The ones who live for ourselves. That you call us in to live for you and for your glory. And the only way we can do it is through your power and through your presence. And we pray, I pray, that we would be people who leave this place with your power and with your presence. And that we would be people who talk about you and what you have done in our hearts and in our lives, in our homes and in our jobs. And that we talk about what you're doing around the world, that your glory is going to the very ends of the earth. I pray in those days of weakness, of hesitation, of wonder, May you continually come and remind us of your power and your presence, your goodness and your love, your holiness and your mercy. We pray all this in your great and wonderful name. Amen.